Abba Father, I'm grateful for you. I'm so grateful for Emma, Preston, all their families, and for the way that you are deeply at work in their lives. Thank you for each person that's here today. And I'm, I'm excited to know that your word is alive and it's going to speak clearly to each person here. And you want to draw everyone into a relationship with you that is based on faith and to truly learn what it means to love you with all their hearts, all their soul, their mind, their strength, everything, and to make you number one. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your mercy. Please open up our eyes to these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone turn to Exodus 6, Exodus chapter 6, and we'll, uh, we'll jump in here. So Exodus 6, I'm going to pick up a couple verses prior. Uh, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? And why did you ever send me ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name? He has done harm to this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. He's getting honest and saying, God, look, I think you failed on your side of the deal. I obeyed. I went to Pharaoh. And, and here's what's happened. And by the way, regarding the, heart, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, we'll develop that. Moses wasn't upset at that statement. Did you know that? We're upset at that statement. We struggle with it. Moses didn't. He just said, okay. Uh, verse 6, God does not honor Moses' emotions at this point and goes straight into what matters most. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Can I please encourage you just a quick comment here. When you think God is failing you, and if you're like me, you might have that quite a bit, that idea. And God seems to be negligent or passive, or God seems to be quiet, and you feel kind of like he's backburnered you or something like that. Things aren't going well, and you think God maybe is not keeping his promises. I want you to know, one of the wisest things we could do is return to God based on his name. Go to his name. Trust his name, Tony. You get it, don't you, Tony? Yes. He is the Lord. That is, in Hebrew, is Adonai. Yehovah Adonai Elohim. The names of God. If you can identify his name, you get at his heart, and you realize it's actually a safe place. I want to skip down and pick some highlights before I really drill on a couple of things this morning. In, in 6.6, 6, uh, God is recommissioning or, or literally trying to, to turn Moses' focus to what matters. Get your eyes off your problems. Get your eyes on me. Therefore, go to the sons of Israel and say, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. I will rescue, rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. This language that I'm going to redeem you, I will take you as my people. Do you know what this language is similar to? Wedding language. This is very similar with, to Hebrew wedding language. I choose you. I want you. I'm going to take you as my spouse, as my bride. 
I will be your God. You will be my people. This is the language of intimate bond and of the redefining of an entire nation. Verse 9. So Moses said to the sons of Israel, he said these things, but they did not listen on account of their despondency, the heaviness of their hearts, the discouragement, and the cruel bondage. Uh, just a quick comment here, because when I, when I provide counseling, clinical care to people, there are many of us, and I have been in this place, where the despondency can be so deep, it's really hard to see God. Or the despondency can be so deep, it's really hard to see truth. Okay. Some of you have never known the sting and the burn of anxiety. You've never known the sting and the burn of depression. And so when you find out somebody battles that, you want to go, hey, hey, wake up. Come on, snap out of it. What's the matter with you? Come on. Can't you just trust God? You know, those prophets around us, boy, you like to go right to the issue, don't you? But when you are really battling stuff and you have histories or you have medical conditions and things going on, the despondency can be real. And sometimes you don't need someone pointing the bony finger saying, come on, what's the matter with you? Snap out of it. Although, yeah, there's a time for that for some people. But God doesn't shame those people for those feelings. He just says, Moses, go back. God is not so much treating a symptom. He's treating the cause. Get to the root of it. Go back. Verse 10, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go, go out by his hand, release them. And then Moses offers a complaint. But Moses spoke before the Lord saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me again as I am unskilled in speech? Nevertheless, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a command concerning the sons of Israel and Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the sons of Israel out. Again and again and again. Stay focused on the mission. Stay focused. And then at Hebrew, at Hebrews, at uh, Exodus 6, 14, we have this curious spot here. All of a sudden, we have this genealogy. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It's kind of a bit of a surprise in terms of following the text. And it's really interesting. Now, I'm not going to read those names because... Uh, I am unskilled in speech, okay? I'm going to play the Moses card, people, and, and I get to do it. And I don't think you want to hear me pronounce those names, by the way. And, um, and, then, and then it's like we turn back to the storyline, verse 28, 628. Now, it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. You got to get it straight. On who I am, I am the Lord. Say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And Moses (laughs) said before the Lord, behold, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Wow, he keeps bringing that up. What's going on? Chapter 7. And then the Lord said, hey, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh and your brother shall be your prophet. we got a team that's formed. Verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? 
so that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt. Skip down, verse 5. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Oh, so it looks like God wants to do mission work with the Egyptians as well. And then you get, you get the first comment that Moses specifically and Aaron in keeping finally decides to take what God says seriously. How cool is that? Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron did this. As the Lord commanded them, so they did. Wow, Sharon, there it is. God blesses obedience and God judges disobedience. There's the story about Aaron's staff turning into a serpent. I'll deal with that a little later on. And, uh, and we'll dig in. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. I need you. We're, we're going to be in seminary now. You ready? We're going to do three men in a nation. Three, how's that for a great title? Catchy, isn't it? Three men in a nation. All right. Um, Moses' speech complaint. His speech complaint. And there's actually about three or four words that are used in Hebrew to, that he uses to describe this speech complaint. We need to identify what's really going on. Exodus 4.10, uh, I've never been eloquent. Literally in Hebrew, a man of words. And, and then some more language, I'm heavy-mouthed and heavy-tongued, is what it says. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. In Hebrew, heavy mouth, heavy tongue. Exodus 4.14, I don't speak fluently. Again, I'm not a man of words. 6.12, I'm unskilled. That's weird. I have an uncircumcised mouth. That's weird. All right, and that's what it says in Hebrew. Sorry, the shock and awe of the moment. There it is. 6.30, repeats it again, his complaint. Ah, behold, I'm unskilled in speech or have an uncircumcised mouth. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? What is going on? That's really odd. You ready? And you guys uh, are going to have to um, take the test and pass the quiz. You ready? How do we interpret this? Interpretation number one Whatever this mouth problem is, Moses' mouth, what's the problem? Let's figure it out. Number one, it's simply an excuse. It's an attempt at evading the will of God. Moses doesn't want to go. He almost was killed there. There were people out to get him. I'm assuming they had a price on his head. And Egyptian assassins were going to get him. So he's evading the will of God. Number two, Moses suffers from a speech defect you know, congenital, cleft palate, stuttering, some mouth, form, mouth malformation, or, or something of an injury of sorts. And there's scar tissue or something. And perhaps the folds of the skin of the lips are now damaged. By the way, the Talmud uh, repeats this story. You ready for this? When Moses was a toddler on Pharaoh's lap, right? This is actually in the Talmud that Moses was so enamored with the crown on Pharaoh's head that he reaches for it and pulls it off his head. All right? Now, the Egyptians, who are very superstitious, when they saw that, they thought, this is a prophetic sign that this baby will rise up and take the kingdom from Pharaoh. And guess what the magicians, the sorcerers, and Egyptian advisors said? Kill him. They said, kill him. The story goes that someone said, but maybe he's just a toddler that grabs for shiny things. Kids do that, right? And so, so the, the advisors and the magicians tested him. 
And they brought a bowl of jewels, shiny things, and a bowl of hot coals. And they set them, yes, they set them before the toddler, Moses, to see which one he would grab. Because if you grab the bowl of jewels and shiny things, they would execute the baby, the toddler. They'd kill Moses. Moses, according to Talmud, grabs the hot coals, pulls it to his mouth, and it scars his lips, his mouth. So is that what Moses' complaint is all about? And there's scarred tissue on his mouth. And the, skins of the, of, of the skin around the lips have been damaged. And so he says, I've got an uncircumcised mouth. It's ugly and malformed. Is that what it is? Okay. Is it interpretation number three? It has been about 40 years since Moses fled Egypt. Based on Exodus 7, 7, Acts, uh, Acts 7. And so Moses is now 80 years old when God commissions him to go talk to Pharaoh. So we're going to an 80-year-old man that's facing Pharaoh. Okay? It's been 40 years since he's spoken Middle Egyptian language. All right? When I was doing lots and lots of work in El Salvador and Argentina, uh, some in Mexico, but especially El Salvador, my heart was in it, my mind was in it, and I was developing some very lower levels of fluency in Spanish. And, and I could get along. I, I could actually get out on the street by myself, communicate, share the gospel, and it was really fun and amazing. Now, like it's gone. You've heard of the, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Well, that's true, you know. And, and I would really struggle if I had to immerse and was you know, dropped down off at the market and tried to demonstrate my command of, of Spanish. So this is what's going on. When Moses says, I'm unskilled, I'm mumbly fumbly in the mouth, my words are heavy, my tongue is heavy, my mouth is heavy. I'm struggling with my fluency in Middle Egyptian language, which would be the language that Pharaoh spoke at that time. That's what it is. But there's a problem with that interpretation. When you look at Acts 7.22, Luke, who writes Acts, describes Moses as being fluent and actually, the word in Hebrew is power. Like our word dynamite, dunamis, dunamis. Moses had power in speech and power in action. So evidently, he was very skilled and very effective. Highly trained in all the, all the, uh, the best academies in Egypt, according to Acts 7.22. So interpretation three is a tough one. How about four? Moses suffers from anxiety or some medical condition that manifests as spasmodic dysphonia. Um, in fact, we have some speech pathologists here, and they would understand that condition, where the vocal cords and the folds literally are, are spasming, and their voice comes off as being really weak and tight and fluttery, and it's really hard to talk. So is that what it is? The, and by the way, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses a term that might support that, that view. Number five, interpretation five. Moses is just simply not skilled in rhetoric or the art of debate. He's not a smooth, talking, charismatic. All right, Christ Church, time to take the quiz. Which one is it? <laughs> Solve it. <laughs> Solve the mystery. Why does, he, why does he keep complaining? No, don't use me. Don't use me. I've got mouth issues. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody else. Not me. Mouth, 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 mouth. What do you think? 
Which one is it? And there could be more than one. Could be all of the above. Could be all of the above. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Someone else? Yeah, that's good. That's a good turn. You know, wordsmithing. God, when God calls people, regardless of their deficiencies, he will more than make up for that. Yeah. So that might hint at number one. Moses is evading God. God's will. Maybe, maybe. Anybody else? Which one? If you had to. If you had to. Fear of failure. What's that? Fear of failure. Yeah, number one. Yeah. Evading God's will, fear of failure, fear of shame, fear of his life. Yeah. Anybody else? I think maybe it could be too. He he was raised in the Egyptian world and he's gonna have to confront family members. Yes. So yes. He's having to confront family that he knew and was close to possibly at some point in time, although he doesn't live that way anymore. Now he lives Hebrew. So He's kind of caught in an uncomfortable position. And I think that he's using some of those things as excuses because yeah. it's a very uncomfortable position. He doesn't want to be the one that has to do it. Yeah, that's good, Janice. I'm from Massachusetts, was raised in that culture till the age of 15. And if I had, if I had the money and the ability to move back there, I wouldn't. There's no way I'd move back to Massachusetts. No way. Wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go back. Maybe he's afraid of that. Who knows? That's good. Anybody else? Chris, could it be the only of God's mission combined with the people of Israel not going back to He's got these two conflicting things happening on, on either side of them. I know in, in, in my life, if I have people endorsing me, it's easier for me to do something. Or if I have the back of someone, he's got God and basically dismisses his feelings by saying, look, this is my mission. I'm going to keep doing it. I don't really, I'm not, I'm not worried about what you're thinking. And at the other end of that, he's got the people of Israel who are like, we're afraid. We don't know what's going to happen here. Maybe there's a potential for him to just sort of go, I don't know what the right answer is because I'm not getting really any kind of satisfactory response from my own benefit from either the world or the people of Israel. Yeah, yeah. Patch, you, you may be getting some at something about this guy Moses. A lot of us as Westerners are very pragmatic and we, we are willing to have faith as long as we agree with the terms and conditions. <laughs> I'll give you my heart, Lord. I'll, I'll follow your ways, but here's the deal. You need to pull your side of the bargain and I need to see you do X, Y, Z. And if you don't, then I'm out of here. We, we bring that kind of mindset to our, to our faith. It's very common. We see that Moses, we're not sure exactly what's going on. And I'm telling you, the PhDs who have far more skill than I will ever imagine, they've wrestled with this and they're not sure either, okay? So if you've struggled with your decision, congratulations. You're hanging out with the PhDs at this point, sipping coffee, and they're going, I don't know. <laughs> some of them have some pretty, pretty good arguments. I think it does make sense that he's, he's not been speaking Middle Egyptian for 40 years, that's a struggle. Uh, you know, we, we just don't know, Steve? Uh, I was thinking, as he says, uh, the circumcised mouth, 
he knows more of that world than he knows of this world. He knows enough of it. It's kind of like, uh, well, it could be like me. I'm not going to set every chapter and verse of the Bible. Right. Because I don't, I don't memorize. But the heart of it, yeah. the understanding of what it means, I have. Yeah. But he has an uncircumcised mouth, meaning I cannot speak in your language and your education and yeah. your beliefs yeah. to the Pharaoh the way you yeah, that's really good, Steve. Actually, you're, you're, this is an echo from Isaiah chapter 6 that you're drawing from when Isaiah was called and commissioned, confronted God, and he says, whoa, I've got a mouth problem. I'm a man of unclean lips. And what did the angel do? Took a tongue with, and grabbed what? A hot coal and touched it to his lips. So, yeah, we're not sure, but... Whatever the, however this is actually playing out, it's interesting that Moses consistently says, I can't do this job. And keeps making excuses. It, obviously, God uses him and, and it works. Now, what about Pharaoh? Three men, three men in a nation. What about Pharaoh? What's going on with, with his, his state of being confronted by God? It's like you've got two men in conflict and they're both confronted by the same God. Moses confronted by God, it's a conflict. Pharaoh confronted by God, it's a conflict. So let's walk through some things here. You're going to have another quiz. So what's this hardness of heart thing? Arem. Hardness of heart. Um, uh, and I'm excuse that's not Arem. That in Hebrew is uh, Hasak. Exodus 4.21, And the Lord said to Moses, uh, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I've put in your, your power, but I will harden his heart. And that is used, it's just all over the text between chapters 4 to 14. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But six, but seven fourteen, Pharaoh's heart was self-hardened. Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's interesting. So a couple more, uh, Exodus 9. Uh, Pharaoh sinned again? And hardened his heart, he and his servants. So this hardness of heart issue is spreading to his servants. Went from Pharaoh, now it's the servants. 10.1, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. And the heart of his servants, this thing's spreading. Ooh, hardness of heart can spread. 14.17, and as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. So you've got a hard-hearted king hard-hearted servants, and now the entire nation is developing a hard heart, and they're not honoring Yahweh. All right, what does that mean? What does it mean? Number one, the phrase God hardened Pharaoh's heart means God is sovereign, and Pharaoh was acting as his mindless marionette puppet. And, 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 and here's, here's Pharaoh just doing whatever God said. Very good, very good. Uh, and it, Tony? Uh, I like to say it. I may be off, but Pharaoh already kicked off, and then they serve other gods. Yes. And uh, I think God wanted to show him 
that he was the big dog. You, know, <laughs> you said it well. Yes. He, he is God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Absolutely. We've got a power struggle going on. We do. By the way, Tony, you're on to something because the ten plagues match up with what's known as the Egyptian pantheon. Pan means what? All. Theon. Gods. So those ten plagues are matching up with all the big gods of Egypt. God knows what he's doing. It's not, well, I'll send, what can I send? Hey guys, what do you think? What can I do? And an angel says, frogs, send frogs. Yeah, I'll send frogs. No, that's not what happened. God is very, very wise. He's brilliant. Yeah, but interpretation one, Tony, is Pharaoh has no choice. He's God's marionette. He's like a puppet on a string. He has no choice. Or two, he is not a puppet on a string, and he actually does have choice. Okay? The phrase hardening of the heart refers to the empowering of the human will to make a decision. In other words, it doesn't mean... <clears throat> I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to make it like stone so that he becomes mindless. It means the opposite. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to make it tough. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to challenge him. And I'm going to say, boy, it's time to man up. Man up with your decisions and face it and deal with it. That's what it means to harden the heart. Because if you look at the Hebrew, it's translated, I mean, a lot to strengthen the heart. Make it strong. So at this point, God is actually being a missionary to, to Pharaoh. God wants Pharaoh to face up, man up, be confronted by who his true, his true nature is, so that he will learn to be a follower of Jehovah, Yahweh. And by doing this, God, this is important, he allows Pharaoh's heart to act out of its true nature. Sometimes we struggle with obeying God and it's our own doing. Can we be honest about that? It's our own doing. And we harden our own hearts and we make decisions that are absolutely based out of selfish motives because that's the true nature of what's inside of us. So this is human choice based on a self-induced hardening. All right, number three, interpretation three. There is a blending of God's influence on Pharaoh and Pharaoh's acting out of his own stubbornness and prideful heart. Of the 20 times the verb harden is featured in the text, 10 refer to God doing the hardening and the other 10 refer to Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So it's a blend. All right, Christ Church, pop quiz, which one? Blend. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <coughs> Hebrew verbs. Kind of makes sense. Anybody else? All right. Yes. Yeah. Like in the New Testament, God says that He will turn them over to reprobate minds. Sure. It sounds like it kind of goes hand in hand with that. Idea. They're not going to do Romans what I one. want them to do. That I'm going to let them just be self-destruct. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're onto it. Yeah. Yeah. God says you want choice? Okay, I'll give you choice. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, if you've ever wondered what he looks like, there it is. It's just fascinating. Um, I, I don't want to speak clinically, but I think he looks tired. 
I think he needs to get some sleep. All right. Three men in a nation. We looked at the character and the struggle of Moses and his mouthy problem. We looked at Pharaoh and his heart problem. And now what about Aaron? What's going on with Aaron? This, you might find yourself as I did with this, this guy. By the way, he's 83 in this photograph, according to the biblical record. Let's look at genealogy here. When you go, genealogies, ooh, hang, hang with me. We're not going to try to say these fancy names. Um, this is this odd inbreaking of this genealogy. This is what I want you to follow. I'll make it real quick. That's unique about Aaron in the bloodline. First of all, there's six generations featured. Okay, Only two of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of, of Jacob are mentioned. The two men who are featured at the very beginning and the very end, and that is going to be uh, Levi and Phineas, are capable of horrific violence. When Levi and his brother Simeon found out what a neighboring tribal group did to their sister, Dinah, it's the stuff of a horrific movie. So the man that starts the Levitical priesthood is capable of intense violence. The list features the names of women, which is really interesting because according to Hebrew, Egyptian, all the Mesopotamian, all the the cultures in this area, women are not valued. Women are something you own. They're something you manage. You get to have lots of them if you can afford them. It's all about men. But it's interesting in that this genealogy, women are included, just like in Matthew's genealogy, that there's, a, there's an example of biblical inclusion. Uh, Moses and Aaron, this is, this is scary. You ready? Buckle up, people. Moses and Aaron are the offspring of Amram and his paternal aunt, Jacobin. You, gross. Um, this is what the scriptures say. It's, it says that he married his father's sister in the text. By the way, um, Aaron himself doesn't marry a fellow Levite woman. He marries Elisheba. And her father is Aminadab and her brother is Nashon. And in Hebrew, Nashon means like a snake. That's not a good name. Especially if you remember Genesis 3 and the serpent, right? Got this whole mess started. And then Nashon and Aminadab are from the line of Judah. So even the line of Levi is polluted. It's interesting. Here's something that I want you to find encouragement in. Everybody turn to Genesis 15. Turn to Genesis 15. This is really important. Genesis 15. God is calling Abraham to a covenant relationship. And Abraham finally believes. And in chapter 15, verse 14, it says this in Genesis. I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. He's talking about the descendants of Israel. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go 
to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. He's talking Abraham, verse 16. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the wrongdoing of the Amorite is not yet complete. If you look, I've marked it for Levi. That represents generation one. When you get to the fourth generation, this is when God brings Aaron and Moses on the scene to bring Israel home. In other words, my dear, my dear people, God is making good on his promises. But it took four generations. And it's hard to wait. It's hard. Because we want God to move quickly. We want God to move swiftly to our terms and conditions. And faith is hard when your needs are not being met. Or you feel even, it, to be God honest, that God is not doing the best job. All right. Moses in his mouth, Pharaoh in his heart, Aaron in his corrupt heritage. It wasn't a pure bloodline. Teaches us that God is a God of grace. He's a God of love, a God of mercy. And he uses people that have issues. <laughs> God uses people who has issues. Um, if you'd like first-hand evidence, you're looking at it right now. Me. And God has chosen to use me. This is what Jesus said. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. You're not in Egyptian bondage anymore. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. Moses struggled with that one. But I have called you friends. Because all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Can you grab that idea? I have sent you out to do the works of my Father, and I want you to do the kind of work that has fruit that remains, just like he was calling to Moses. All right, Christ Church, you're the body of Christ. How do we pull from this biblical story into our world today so that we too will follow the Lord our God and obey him? Yes, Michael. I got a question and an observation. The okay. first question is, is there any significance in the use of the term circumcision uh, given that Moses had a child that wasn't circumcised at a period of time? Like, is there any, is that just a standard word that there's not really a... Uh, That's a great question, Michael. And it's unique that that word is used in a variety of ways, not just for the physical, medical practice of circumcision. The, I think theologically the emphasis is a lot like baptism. Just like baptism, biblically in the New Testament, is that clear marker that you're going from group A and you're now going to belong to group B. It's a rite of transition, a rite of passage. Identically, circumcision is that very thing. It is the thing that distinguishes you from the pagan non-followers of God to those that are the people of God. So it's a clear a clear indicator of ownership and identity. The, uh, the second thing I was going to say was uh, we didn't really touch on the nation, how God had said he was going to harden the nation's heart. 
I wanted to say, like, to me, that this populates in my brain because I feel like the nation's going to follow after its leader. No, that's good. That's good. As it goes in Europe, so America follows. As it goes with Disney, the church follows. More games, more fun, more cool decorations. And they'll come. <laughs> no. Yes, Nathan. Very. So if you look at like the difference, the contrast being made is, you know, back in the beginning of this, God said, I will have I, I have seen the affliction of this people. So that's showing that God that the God of the Hebrews, the God that's speaking to Moses, had compassion on them. Whereas he's saying the hardness of, of Pharaoh's heart, he is strengthening that. So there's a contrast for me in the way that they saw the affliction of the Hebrews. Absolutely. And so it's sort of saying, now we're going to have this battle, and we're going to see which, which morality of which God is better, which one actually wins out. It's not just power, but it's also the character of those gods. Yeah. Nathan, your insight is so appreciated because you're actually on to something that's correct. The Egyptians, their supreme God is going to be Ra, the sun god, right? And all that and the pyramids and all their their, their beliefs, but for the Hebrews, it's going to be Yahweh. Okay, but there's a problem. The Hebrew are just as polytheistic <laughs> as the Egyptians. We want those Hebrew people to be just like us Christians. We want us to all believe there's only one God, and we, you know, hey, they can make a golden calf and worship it just like that. They're very polytheistic. They're learning monotheism. But that's why Nathan says he's a God above all gods. He's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. It is a power struggle. The gods of Egypt versus the God of the Hebrews. That's so good. Philip? I think, too, I've kind of wrestled with hardening of heart in the past. Um, just because it seems like that first read that God's cool to mm-hmm. pit someone against them. But... Uh, the more I think about it, the more I realize that I always think of the hardening of the heart as God just withdrawing his presence from that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, because we all would have hard hearts if we didn't have God in us. Absolutely. And you see the opposite of that with Moses and Aaron. God's potentially making himself well with them. And it's kind of a scary thought to realize that we need God every day, every moment with us, and um, yeah, if we just That's good, people, not good if we're not yeah, God blesses obedience and he judges disobedience. Okay, let's tie it off. I want to I wanna take it to a, a, a final point here. If you were to uh, look honestly at what's going on inside of you and your heart, could you say, don't answer, could you say that you're obeying God? Do you toy with church? Is church um, like a social motive for church? We're going to come here and look good and 
all that and make sure that we we give God the little token. There you go. There's your little token. I popped in on church. You know, the once the once a month attenders, the, the, the once a quarter attenders, or the CEOs, Christmas and Easter only, those people. Um, you know, a little, there you go, God, I popped in. Are we any better than the Egyptians? Are we any better than a struggling, a struggling Moses using his mouth as a reason to maybe evade him or at least as a cover for his fears? We're not sure. Even if there was, there was a genuine speech impediment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God said to Moses, I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. It's interesting that to speak very plainly with you, our body issues, our mouths, our body issues, we leverage that against God. Boy, howdy do we leverage that against God. And this could be different about our body than our faith would be different. If that did happen, then my faith, you know. Man, we bring our body issues. We are, we are no better than Moses with our mouths. So, don't answer. Can you honestly think of a good reason, a legitimate reason why you shouldn't follow God? Can you think of a really good reason why? Don't answer. Just look deep inside. Okay. I want to pray over you and bless you. Abba, Father. Lord, I'm, I'm right here in the middle of this. I can make excuses just like anybody else. I can claim this needs not being met, that needs not being met. I can, I can make all kinds of excuses. Angry with this person, angry about that. Father, the bottom line is you bless obedience and your love for us is so great You are doing everything to draw us to you. You are drawing Pharaoh to you. You wanted to draw an entire nation of Egyptians to you to see your power, your glory, and your splendor. You want to do the same thing to the Hebrew. You do not desire that anyone perish, but that all would come to repentance. Abba, Father, open up our hearts. Give us the courage to not make excuses but to be tender-hearted and soft toward you and obe- quick to obey and to push all the excuses aside and to stop playing games with a cheap and shallow faith. Abba, Father, bless your people. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.